0: Bad leaders are everyone's worst nightmare, giving you the ultimate playbook
1: to lead, inspire, and grow your team. Better tech leadership powered by BrainHub. So I'd like to start with your professional journey. Can you share a bit about your journey from being a student at ETH Turif and UC Berkeley to becoming the head of engineering at Roche? Uh, specifically, what were the, some key turning points or challenges you had to overcome and why did you choose to follow the fields of data and cloud? Big question, but uh, i let
0: you speak. <laughs> sure. um, so my first job after my academic career was in private banking. Um, and there it was at Juliusburg here in Zurich um, in the advisory uh, part of the bank, um, which was extremely interesting because you get a broad view of everything. Um, although when I started, For half a year, I was doing Excel, so it was very classical. I was hired as a data scientist back then. Um, people didn't even know what data science was. And I was doing Excel as a, as a first half year. Mm macros. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of automatizations of, of things. Um, but then people saw that I'm doing cool stuff, started to do more like dashboards and then. People liked it a lot. So I took on more responsibility on the on the BA side of things in advisory. We were also piloting some recommendation engines back then, um, but it was never really rolled out then. Uh, that's where I first started to realize it's not about technology, it's also about uh, processes and people. Uh, because if people don't want to adopt something a recommendation system then you have already lost right so it was very interesting to be in the finance industry um there were also some downsides i would say i was always choking that the biggest innovator in finance is the regulator because bags are very risk-averse so it's it's very difficult to move stuff which ultimately also was one of the reasons that i jumped votes um, also the entire cloud adoption was very low, um, so it was very difficult to move things forward. but I learned a lot I learned a lot from the people that I worked with because it was also my first job after university so it was it was good from from there um, I became cloud consulted that was also interesting i was I was uh, working for Teradata for over uh, one and a half years, and they sent me to different clients across Europe and also different industries. So for me, in that one and a half years, I fortunately could see many different industries from oil and gas to uh, aviation to retailers. So it was, it was nice, but it was also a bit uh, re- reality check because I, I, I was thinking that the, the financing and banking uh, sector is a bit behind, but uh, it turned out that almost everybody uh, is behind of the uh, clouds and data analytics curve. So I think we're really we were seeing it two-class society, where we have Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and then nothing, and then the rest. Um, so it was also a bit uh, shocking to see that. Um, and also for me, ultimately, I was also not so happy to be a consultant because there was no skin in the game for me. I was just, you know, advising, um helping but i was not owning a solution so for me when i had the opportunity to end with Roche, um my boss he he explained to me you know what uh, what possibilities there are um and for me it was a great opportunity to to take on more ownership because this was uh, exactly what i was looking for and when i started at Rosh, i started as a machine learning engineer so uh, The goal was to deploy um, some ML solutions, but I had to realize that the infrastructure was not quite there yet. The data was not quite there yet. So uh, we started to build out like a cloud platform for data and analytics, uh, Greenfield. And we started off with uh, five people and now we grew that to like 150 people. So uh, it was a, Quite a nice journey for the last three years. Um, I learned a lot. I I always say it was a bit like having a startup within an enterprise, uh, with all the uh, well ups up up and downsides of it. So good thing is that uh, I don't have to go to raise that much money because it's a bit easier because you're in an enterprise. You also have a global reach, so it's easier to bring in people. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, it's also, it's still an enterprise, so you have a legacy. You need to take care of that legacy as well. So that was
1: a bit difficult. And of course, also politics. Okay. You said that many sectors out there are behind, still behind those big tech companies like Amazon, Facebook, Stripe, you name them. What are the aspects that are still not there? Is it uh, adoption of the technologies? Is it the way they work? Uh, both of those things, or something else? It's a, it's a good question, and I think it's multiple things. Um,
0: I think the the foundations are not there, uh, and also there is probably not enough appreciation for that. Right? I mean, many dente, m- many companies don't understand how to collect and curate data um, yeah. to make it useful. Um, So they want to have machine learning applications, but in order to get there, you need to get the basics right. So, I mean, there's this very famous pyramid uh, where you need to have the infrastructure and data collected, and then you can start to do like the the more advanced analytics use cases. So you need to do your homework, and that's where most companies still struggle. I mean, people think Facebook and Google, they're great at machine learning, but that is just a result of them being great in data collection and curation and um, that's for sure is one aspect but but then also the missing practices as you've put it right i think it's it's really a maturity on the engineering level um that has very much to do with the dna of companies um, and i heard many people on the business side saying oh but we are not google we are a pizza company or we are a car manufacturer, right? So it's really also the mindset that needs to change to give engineering the relevance it should have.
1: Sure. Uh, Speaking of Roche, can you describe your responsibilities as Head of Engineering Global Product Strategy at Roche, and specifically, uh, what are the most rewarding and challenging aspects of your role or job?
0: Sure. Maybe I start first with uh, what part I'm responsible. Um, so, uh, as you can imagine, Rush is, is a huge, a huge company, and um, GTM, the go-to-market domain, is basically the commercial domain. So that is the marketing, the digital. Um, this is also how we interact with the HCOs, the healthcare organizations like hospitals or the HCPs, the healthcare professional, the, the doctors and nurses. So it's it's really the, the last mile, uh, I would say. And I'm overseeing the data and analytics part of that. Um, so what we have built is really a platform, but then also global products, data products. Those are like dashboards, but also ML solutions and also local ones that, that is the, for country-specific use cases as well. And the main emphasis for me in the last three years was to not look at things isolated, uh, meaning that for me it was important to connect technology to the people and processes. And those three things are very much interconnected. And sometimes they influence each other heavily. To give you an example, in the last five to ten years there was a huge shift from uh, ETL, so extract, transform, load to ELT, extract, load, and transform. Now, this change uh, of, of a process also is reflected on how we organize the people. So that means we have what we call data engineers. They're solely responsible of bringing the data to the platform. They don't understand really the data, but they're really, really good in infrastructure. Infrastructure is a code. They're very good in APIs, JDBC, all the interface kind of stuff and, and how to to write jobs to bring the data. And then we have guys, what we, dec- we call them analytics engineers, and they are only responsible for doing the transformations on the platform itself, right? So that's an example of how the change in technology and the change in the process for the te- technology is also shaping the topology of the teams. And I think that's where all the things come together. It's it's really the the technology part with the people and the process part that you need to look uh, holistically. Also, many technology decisions were also shaped on on the people. Another example is one of our core um, components of the platform is a data warehouse, a cloud data warehouse. Of course, we could have also chosen to go with Spark or some other fancy technology. But looking within Roche, many talents that we have, they're very good in SQL and it makes more sense to leverage that talent. It's a lot easier to upskill them to use a cloud data warehouse than it would be to upskill them to use Spark, right? So that's where I think it's, it's tricky to look at all three dimensions, but I think it's important if, to, if you want to be successful to, to really reflect on, on, on those
1: components. Interesting Interesting that the teams are formed around those domains. Interesting.
0: It's really like, if you look at the and those two are just two of what we call capabilities. So if you look at the data lifecycle, there's certain capabilities that you need. Um, We have mentioned the onboarding. We have also mentioned the, the data pipelines, the transformation. What is between actually is what we have called the data analyst that is working together with the business to define the business rules, And then the analytics engineer is taking over and implements them in a pipeline. We also have one capability, which is information engineering or data architecture, which is helping, of course, as well, how to organize the data and make it useful and reusable. Then we have ML engineering, which is an important uh, capability also what we call visual analytics, DevOps, Kubernetes engineering, and cloud engineering. So it's it's really specializations, I would say, and I always compare it. I don't know if you have ever watched kids football, like the tiny ones. When they play football, they're kind of goalkeeper, but also strike, like they do everything. And I think this is also how people were approaching data. It was like, okay, you're responsible for the data onboarding, but then also for defining the business rules and implementing that. And it's great, but it's also difficult. Can create it? Like that? That's the point. I think it's not scalable as well, right? So I think to really become scalable, you need to become more professional. And if you have people that are really focused now, I mean my data engineer, they will bring a new data source in one or two days because they're really good at that right so i think it's you, you can improve the quality the agility by being more professional so the football team that we have now if you have clear position right and everybody knows the role and that's that's how i think you can
1: definitely improve the quality of the data products you build you, you were to choose what what's the most important aspect of your accountability, or what part of uh, of tech versus people versus uh, process gets most of your attention?
0: I think it's it, it, it changed also a little bit. I, I think in the in the beginning, of course, when you set up the architecture and everything, the technology part is 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 was a bit bigger. Um. Also, as you can imagine, growing a team from five to one hundred fifty other aspects become more important that that you realize you need to somehow organize these people um the communication aspects become more important or standardizing also the processes the development cycles et cetera so I think it's 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 tricky to shift you know the the attention to where it needs to be. So I would say that technology aspects became a little bit less relevant because also we haven't changed the tech stack that much in the last uh, three years. Of course, there's always uh, adoption that, that you need to do. But uh, for me, since in the last three years, my role was also, I would say cloud migration because we have been moving a lot of the workloads that were in legacy system like Hadoop or Oracle we're moving them to, to the cloud and that has a lot to do with change management mm-hmm. um again more the people and processes part uh then we are also introducing new crm systems new transactional systems so i would say we're also helping a lot on the digital transformation part of the entire organization right um new digital channels so the th- there are a lot of challenges when it comes to trying to unify uh, all of that. Um, but I mean, I'm also quite happy that I could drive a lot of those topics from the engineering side uh, as well. But it's it's challenging because uh, nobody really wants to change, right? So to make people change and see the benefit of changing, you also need to be a bit of a salesman. Um, Rich, naturally, people in engineering don't enjoy it so much. I'm also not enjoying it that much, but
1: I acknowledge that it's important. I think it's completely, for me, it's a completely different way of uh, communicating. I think that, uh, you know, talking with the machine, (laughs) it's just enough to say it once, uh, but talking, like getting message across uh, that is really complex, not, uh, and requires some change and is related with the discomfort usually or fear it's like it's a completely different game for me.
0: <laughs> it is and I think what is also challenging is that you need to meet the people where they are at. So that is there's a huge spectrum of course, right? So some of them it's quite easy, they understand very quickly. Some of them they take a bit longer and that was also interesting to roll out that data analytics platform across the globe. You could see, you know, certain countries or affiliates as we call them they're super mature and it was not so difficult conversation
1: mm. and with some others
0: it took a bit longer
1: yeah it's a distribution right That's okay uh, uh, i'd like to speak a little bit about uh, go-to-market domain so um my question is what role does data science play in uh, the gtm domain at Frosch
0: yeah i mean it it always played a crucial role because it was one of the first use cases that we had in mind when we started to build the, the platform. Um, so also there, it was recommendation engine um, for our uh, sales force, for the workforce that we have in the field to improve the interactions they have with the doctors and the hospitals to to make that more relevant and there also it's it's a lot about collecting the data i mean everybody's talking about customer 360 right so it's it's a lot about providing the relevant information when when needed um and there were super interesting use cases right so uh, there is I think fifteen million articles in PubMed, which is the publication for medical, the medical journey, basically, right. So uh, one of the use cases that we have is okay, what articles could be relevant for a certain doctor or not. Um, so it was always part of of our journey as well. Um, so it's it's really the more traditional BI stuff, but then also the the machine learning stuff where we try to to put the dent into that as well uh, what is important though is that we were always trying to integrate the machine learning aspect seamlessly into the work process of the people so we didn't want to have an extra application for machine learning so the results of the recommendation engine that we are um that we're uh, that we have built is fed back to the crm system right because the, the, the Salesforce is already interacting with the CRM system, so it is important that they can keep the same ecosystem of tools that they already have. Yes. Nice. Because I think it's already hard enough for machine learning to, to, to build a machine learning solution, and then if you have an extra tool, it puts an additional barrier for people to leverage. Sure.
1: Uh, We spoke a little bit about people, we spoke about process, uh, but uh, I'd like to get a little bit more specific and ask what do you consider the most important aspects of DevOps practices, and uh, could you share an instance where a specific aspect of those practices was critical to the success of a given project?
0: Yeah, it's a super relevant uh, question. Um, I mean, for me, DevOps is not really practice it's it's culture so you need to establish this culture and this is of course it's it's not an easy thing especially in a lot of traditional companies and i mean i had the same issue in Rosh, where we are for me it was important to put devops first now when we started After some time I got asked, well, when are you gonna hand over to the operations team? (laughs) And I was like, there's no operations team, we are DevOps. So it's really the guys that are building the solution, they're also gonna operate the solution. This is what DevOps is about, right? I think that showed me that even the most fundamental thing of DevOps, sometimes people don't understand. And that's a challenge, right? Because this is the most important aspect. And uh, I think now people start to realize, and I think already from just combining the development teams with operation teams, that that there's no separation anymore, it improves the quality naturally. Because if you know you need to operate... (laughs) you put a bit more effort into building a solution that is more robust right so for me this already has a huge impact on your mindset if you're building out stuff but that is not obvious for many companies including my own but i think now they can see the benefit of that of course there's a huge uphill battle um, in that because people don't know that they're scared to change um there are of course also a lot of question on Handover documents, and I was like, Look, it's the same thing We don't need to handover documents. We need to document, yes, but it's not that we need to have like this massive checklists and stuff that traditionally were there. so ultimately, for me, um that was uh, one uh, main driver is as simple as just having one team that is doing both, and then also, we were really following a strong everything as a called mindset so Our entire platform is deployed with CDK, which is the default for AWS uh, infrastructure as a code deployment. Our entire uh, pipelines leverage heavily DBT and SQL. Everything is code, right? So also that is a bit of a mindset shift um, because historically speaking, not everything was put in a Git repo, right? But now we have the Git repo and not only that, we have what for me also was a main driver. We have a monorepo. Now, what is a monorepo is basically you put everything into just one repo. And we had long discussions: what we should do? Should we should we go for a multi repo monorepo setup? But I think for me, this monorepo setup had so many benefits for transpa- transparency, for reusability, for all these kind of things that maybe are not so evident if you start off, but I think it, it paid off. Of course, it's also a bit tricky because suddenly there is 150 developers working in on one repo. Right. So you really need to step up the game on frameworks around, you know, pre-commit and like all this technical solution that help. Um but ultimately I think uh that was for me also a major um, major aspects to to have everything in the same repo. And, and it's a lot easier
1: um, to keep people aligned, of course. Was it uh, something new that you guys had to introduce? It, the commercial domain at Roche and
0: Pharma was pretty much fragmented. And that's also why it was not so easy to establish the, the mono-repo in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. it, and again, it's it has also to do with people and process aspects here because uh of course what you're creating with a monorepo repo is a lot of transparency but you need to create trust between teams for the transparency and it's funny right because everybody wants trust but i don't want to be the one to show what i <laughs> so i think ultimately it has also a lot to do with creating the community and the trust within the community to work together. Um, so it's again, it's not only a technical solution saying model repo and then everything <laughs> works out of the box. This has a lot to do also with engaging the people, creating more trust with, with within the team um, to make that successful. It's uh, actually uh,
1: changing the process to Catalyze something like like trust, or catalyze the exchange of context, or accountability, which is basically driven by how you establish the team, or how you make some even technical decision interesting.
0: Yeah, and I mean here I can really recommend the book for me on DevOps, which is, which which is called Accelerate. There, yeah. So, I mean for me they go in really depth on how all those things. You know come together um and of course you know the trust within teams. that that's a huge aspect in the entire DevOps you know that you're not blaming each other but helping each other so for me it was astonishing when I read the book to to realize all the aspects that are interconnected you know so um that's that's also why for me it's a super important part
1: to establish this as part of the culture sure uh, in this book, I really love the graph that they put. Like, they've been building from the book, like, they give a piece there and piece there. And finally, they show the entire thing on the since and, like, uh, what causes uh, the causation. In that's a great book. It's a great book. As an experienced manager, how do you balance your time between managing your team and actively participating in the implementation In that's case. I read on a bio that that might be the case.
0: Yeah, so I'm still still part of the, on the implementation side, but I'm not actively contributing that much code. Uh, I mean, my team is always choking because most of my code now is marked out. So, um, uh, but I think for me, it's, it's very important to stay close to the implementation side, but more from a reverse perspective. Um, what I mean by that is for me, it's very important to give my tech leads all the context. They need to make the right decisions, right? And if they make the wrong decisions, I think I need to blame myself for not giving them enough context. So that's why, for me, being still part of the on the implementation side is important—not actively, but more more passively, right? So that's why I think it's it's uh, it's relevant to keep somewhat close. But not in a sense that I decide on implementation uh, aspects. Although, of course, sometimes that that happens as well. But I try to give the people the the freedom and the context to 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 do the right things, right? So R- Hastings, the Netflix CEO, I think he put it brilliantly when he said uh, it's important to have highly aligned teams that are loosely coupled, and this is what i'm trying to achieve as well so we kind of have a skilled agile approach um so i'm always part of of this sprint planning that we have with all the teams i'm um, i'm also part of this sp- sprint uh, reviews but then during the sprint i i mean i give the the teams the the, the freedom and uh i mean it works super well if you have
1: Good tech leads. Mm-hmm. And how do you align, align them specifically? Does it involve talking a lot about strategy or you use some um, specific tools for uh, executing the strategy, like OKRs, KPIs? How do you keep those things aligned? It's it's a very good question. And I think here,
0: probably, I I also have room for improvements to, to, to formalize that better. Um, but it's also quite challenging because our business, the business side sometimes is not that mature and it's a lot of change. And to manage that change that is coming from the business side is also, it's also quite, quite tricky. So ultimately, I'm, I'm trying to give business context. And I think this is important for yeah, as much as poss- possible. Of course, trying to shield all the noise that is also coming here, <laughs> but to kind of filter the relevant stuff and and just pass down the, the relevant rele- rele- relevant stuff that uh, that that is coming i think that that for me is important but uh, it's it could be a bit more formalized so we are not currently working with kpis and okrs um as much as i would like to but then sometimes it's also very difficult because with kpis it's very difficult to capture um i had recently exactly that conversation right like technical depths for example and to invest in technical depths that is not bringing any business value how do you capture that in a kpi to say oh in the future it will be easier to deliver features but currently we're not delivering any features right so i think it's it, it, it's very tricky sometimes to 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 come up with with kpis in the first place that's why we have not spent too much time thinking in that terms it is relevant though to 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 show business value, right? Uh, I think that was always important, um, also for us to to show that success. But it's more like success stories than KPIs
1: or OKRs. Sure, well, referring to uh, the the accelerate book, for me there were quite a lot of inspiring ways how to measure things. Uh, there, some of them were subjective, and like many people out there, like. Uh, preferably measurable outcomes uh that are objective uh, but uh still like they ask for example for uh deployment pain that was a cool metric i mean cool 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 way to ask about uh for example uh tech debt so i agree i mean for us um
0: i think one of the metrics also is lead time they put right um and of course if if i translate that that would be something I mentioned earlier, is how long does it take for us to tap into a new data source? Like, how long does it take for us, in average, to onboard a new data source, right, um, or deployment cycles? So currently, we have two weekly spin- sprints. We deploy on a two-weekly basis to production. Of course, if, if you compare that, um, and they make that comparison also of companies deploy sometimes 200 times per day, uh, but I think what is also important to point out, the book is very much focused on software development. Now, data and analytics slightly different, right? Because there is this data dimension that adds a lot of complexity on top of that. And uh, that's where I'm already happy with the two-weekly deployment to production. Um, I think it's a, it's a solid start. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. How do you stay up to date with the rapidly changing tech landscape and, uh, do you have any resources or practices you'd recommend?
0: Um, I would say like one big source is my social network. I, I have many friends working in tech companies or other similar roles. So it's always good to exchange w- with them to understand what is happening, uh, in their space and also i'm quite old school uh, i have an rss feed that i that i read regularly where i'm subscribed to um to some of the news feed that for me are relevant um so a lot of the cloud cloud things um of course uh are, are there but on the machine learning side as well um analytics side as well podcasts uh, i think is also uh, for me something that's uh I like a lot, like audiobooks as well, um, or books in general. So it's it's a bit the diverse, uh,
1: yeah, diverse sources for sure. Okay, speaking of the changing tech landscape, I'd like to ask you: What trends or emerging technologies are you most excited about, and why? I mean, of course, uh,
0: I think first, first answer would be uh, what is happening currently with the LLMs and ChatGPT. But uh, there's also a huge around that. So we can also keep it on the side. Um, but I think it will have a huge impact. Uh, for sure, it already has a huge impact now. And it's only difficult to foresee what is the impact. Um, but beyond that... I'm also excited about uh, the open table formats conversation. So Hootie, Iceberg, Delta Lake, what is happening there to make data lakes um, asset compatible. So that is interesting to see. Oh, it's super relevant to my line of work and uh, to everybody that is doing data analytics in the cloud. I think uh, it, it will be interesting to see like what, uh, what impact it has. Um, in general, I'm also excited about the self-service topic, although it is a bit overhyped as well. But um, there is a new AWS service called Datasone that is in preview now, that is is going more into the direction of self-service platforms, um, which will be extremely interesting to see. And then, of course, also on the BI side, with tools like ThoughtSpot, it's interesting to to observe what is happening on the on the self-service BI topic as well. Although, again, um, those are tools you still need to do your homework. Um, so, uh, self-service BI tools will not magically solve your problem. I mean, uh, we invested in the last two year, two years heavily on the data model to have a robust good simplified data model that then can be used with self-service so i think it's not a silver bullet but it's interesting to see that the technology can shape um aspects again self-service is a different way of working so the process is also changing right so it's uh not like tableau anymore you cannot use ThoughtSpot the same way you're using tableau it's a different different ways of working so Again, it's interesting to see how self-service can, can shape the, the business processes. Um, but it's still a long way to go, I would say. Because self-service to get it right is super difficult um, because you need to cater and you, eh, to align and, and simplify. I think simplifying is, is extremely hard um people don't appreciate it enough um to make things look simple because when they are simple they think it's easy but it's not right so that's why i have a a, a huge appreciation um for for all
1: that work to make things abstracted in a in a simpler way you mentioned that you've been uh, you, you had uh, taught dancing I, I want to ask about that, and uh how did this uh thing influence your professional life um as an engineer and as a leader yeah, I think it, it had a huge impact on my
0: life because uh, of course uh as an engineer, you're more of an introvert type um and also going to a very technical university you're centered most on on your engagement on technical aspects Uh, you're also taught at university that technology can solve all the problems Um, and then of course having another world that i could relate to the dancing and the dance and the teaching uh, for me gave me a completely different view on things it was also teaching me a lot of the social skills that maybe you're not part at university mm-hmm. that you shouldn't be actually but yeah uh, but you're not so uh, for me how to interact with people how to read people how to to teach them how to meet them uh, especially on the teaching parts i think you learn a lot also about yourself um mm-hmm. so i think if you want to become a self-reflected leader i think it's it's important to work on yourself as well and I think it helped me a lot. I mean, the dancing helped me also to learn more about my body and being self, more self-reflective and, on, on how I move. But then also the teaching was helping me be a bit more self-reflective when it comes to interaction with, with the people. So I think for me, that was a crucial skill set that I learned that for me, probably in the last couple of years was equally or even more important than the technical aspects. Interesting.
1: As I said, it resonates, it resonates with me very much as a former ski instructor. Janik, <laughs> hey, thank you very much. It was, it was great. Uh, thank you for the answers and the insights. Sure. Thanks a lot for having me. Better Tech Leadership powered
0: by BrainHub. Follow Schick on LinkedIn and subscribe
1: to the Better Tech Leadership newsletter.